biblical faith gives you the underpinning to make the right decisions based upon certain enduring truths, and it allows you to push aside many of those other extraneous kind of pressures. Welcome to Biblical Counseling in Action. I'm Steve Byers, and this is a podcast that addresses questions like, how do these principles penetrate every facet of local church ministry? What does it look like when biblical counseling starts to impact the youth ministry, or our ladies' Bible studies, or our men's ministries, or the way leaders function together, or the way decisions are made in the church? What does it look like in the lives of everyday church members who have been trained, or maybe who have been counseled, but now they're continuing to live out these principles in everyday life? That's what this podcast is all about. Welcome back to Biblical Counseling in Action. Today we're talking to Senator Brant Hirschman, who served for 18 years in our Indiana State Senate, most recently as the Senate Majority Leader and Chair of the Tax and Fiscal Policy Committee. I've said on numerous occasions that one of the primary reasons, humanly speaking, that the state of Indiana is characterized by both fiscal health and also a significant degree of political civility is leaders like Senator Hirschman. I believe people on both sides of the political aisle would describe Brandt as a thoughtful gentleman, as a common-sense politician, and I'll say it this way, as a policy wonk, but in the, the very best sense of that term, and a person of genuine religious faith. I'm also glad to have Senator Hirschman's wife, Secretary Lisa Hirschman, with us, whom I'm going to interview separately about her role as the Chief Management Officer at the United States Department of Defense. But I thought she could provide a perspective on Brandt's work that would be very, very helpful to us. So Senator and Secretary Hirschman, thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Thanks so much. Thank you. Senator Hirschman, why and how did you become interested in politics? It's a great question. And I think for many in the public, there's a feeling that there are uh, political dynasties, or you have to know someone to be involved in politics. I grew up on a family farm in Jasper County, and I would say that my family was public policy interested, but not political. We didn't attend any rallies. There weren't any yard signs in the yard. We were a conservative family, and I think that was driven in large part by the fact that it was a family farm, we were small business people. So mm -hmm. the things that the government did or didn't do had a direct impact on mm -hmm. our daily life, uh, maybe more so than some, but obviously everybody's affected in some way or another. And so I entered Purdue with an interest in policy and politics, but no experience whatsoever and no grand plan. I actually uh, was an engineering undergraduate at first. And then Ronald Reagan came to Purdue and I did not know that. He did. In the mid-'80s, he was on his way to the ranch in California, which uh, Lisa and I have since visited, and fascinating place to see. But he stopped here to speak. Uh, as part of a policy initiative he was working on, he spoke in Mackey Arena, and I was working for the student newspaper at the time, so I had the opportunity to cover him and interact with some of the folks in the White House staff. Mm. And he had me at hello. His <laughs> uh, communication skills, mm -hmm. his demeanor, if you ever want to take a look on YouTube, just type in Ronald Reagan humor and listen to him for a few minutes for those of you who are too young to have experienced in person. But he had a unique ability to connect with people on a visceral level, things that, hey, this guy understands mm -hmm. me. And I thought at that point that I might like to get involved in politics. I, I switched my major to political science. And I uh, 
went to my counselor at Purdue and said, how does one get a job in the White House? And <laughs> she said, well, I don't know, but if you find out anything, let me know. So the counseling experience was less than what I had hoped for. <laughs> and so at this point, being a farm kid from Jasper County with no connections whatsoever, I decided to throw a Hail Mary. And I say this for all of you, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Mm. The only connection I could find to the White House was that the chief of staff, Howard Baker, the former senator mm -hmm. from Tennessee, was an alumni of the national fraternity that I was affiliated with. So I backed off through the Hail Mary and sent him a letter and said, I'd like an interview. And, That's um, amazing. I found out later on that essentially he said, uh, kids got moxie interviewing. <laughs> <laughs> and I uh, loaded my luggage into a 1978 Dodge Aspen, which Lee Iacocca said was the worst car Chrysler ever made. <laughs> And I said a brief prayer that it was somehow downhill to D.C. that I could get there. Went and interviewed and was offered an internship in the Reagan White House. Wow. But here's where God plays tricks on you and, and lets you know about his plan for things. I was involved in a very serious motorcycle accident as I was the end of my junior year in college. And I literally received the job offer for the internship sitting in a hospital bed at St. Elizabeth's Central. Wow. And I was unable to take it. And mm. at 21 years old, you think your life is over mm. at that point. As it turned out, the phone rang a year. Well, I called the White House, told them I couldn't take it. And they said, can we keep your resume on file, which I thought was very <laughs> kind of them. And a year later, the phone rang out of the blue. And they asked me if I'd like to come interview for a full-time position in the now Bush White House, George Herbert Walker Bush. So I loaded up the Aspen and headed back to, <laughs> to D.C. and was offered a full-time position, became a writer for the President of the United States and served in the White House for two years. And at that point, I will tell you that President and Mrs. Bush were two of the nicest, uh, mm. most thoughtful and dedicated people that I've ever run into in the political world. And it really set the stage for me in terms of an example of leadership and public service. And I've been involved in some way ever since. So going back, when you say you grew up on a family farm, are you saying you literally were involved in some of the farm activities? Were you baling hay and all that sort of thing growing up? Baled a thousand bales of hay one summer and put it up in the barn, fed cattle with my father all winter, paid my way through college farming with him, and farmed all the way through my college career. At that point, the economy, farm economy was changing, and mm -hmm. you were either getting bigger or getting out. And unfortunately, my father developed cancer and passed away mm. actually that same year that I had my motorcycle accident. Mm. Talk about a woman of faith. My mother dealt with a terminally ill father, and I was in the hospital for months. Wow. All in the same year. But at that point, I decided we were going to make a change. I was going to continue into a different profession. We still own the family farm to this day and still are actively involved in it. But yes, I farmed all the way through college. But that helps me understand your interest in policy. That didn't start as an academic pursuit. That was part of what your family was affected by. Very much so. And if you look at it, it's illustrative in terms of government because in today's overheated rhetoric, depending on your political persuasion, you either think that government is the answer to all that ails us or the antithesis of any solution to anything. And as with many things, the truth is somewhere in between. The government policies were a mixture of earnest attempts to help mm -hmm. and misguided attempts based upon either lack of knowledge or things that I would just disagree with mm -hmm. from being good public policy. And so we were 
whipsawed back and forth in environmental regulations, in uh, support payments, in a variety of other things that I'd look at my dad and say, do they realize the impact this is having mm-hmm. on us? And he said, Brant, they can make a mistake and just send out a different press release tomorrow. For us, it has real right. lasting consequences. Right. And that was at the point where I decided that there needed to be a rank of leadership in government that really based decision-making on facts, experience, a moral compass, a biblical compass, and decided that I was going to give it a shot. And I will say I then um, rather unexpectedly went on a Sunday drive with my wife of then 68 days (laughs) with no thought whatsoever. I'd worked in congressional office for some time, but we went out and just had a conversation about the future. And I will swear to you, I had no concept in my mind of running for office when we pulled out of the driveway. And when we pulled back in the driveway, I was running for state Senate. (laughs) And really, I think in her asking me, why wouldn't you, I kept coming up with these answers. And they really, at a certain point, it became the seminal question of, so what if you lose? So does one football team, so does one basketball team every time they go out on the court and life goes on. If you never challenge yourself, mm-hmm. you'll never find out what you're capable of and how bad would it be to just say, I tried, I failed, now let's move on. In my case, I tried and I won, and people were gracious enough to reelect me for um, several terms. So Secretary Hirschman, would you say that that was another one of those Hail Mary moments? The story about you sending that letter to the White House is amazing. But I didn't know the part about him running for office. Was that just another one of those, we ought to try this moments? Absolutely. And what was interesting about it was, and Grant will tease me, and as you see as I'm sitting here, I always have pen and paper with me, (laughs) including faith services. But I wrote everything down. And I would ask him questions like, What's your dream? What excites you? What makes you happy? And we were talking about future. Mm. And I started writing things down. And unbeknownst to him, of course, I had my notes organized with (laughs) pros and cons. Mm -hmm. And when we were done, it was a fairly long drive, by the way. (laughs) I held up the paper. And without even reading anything, you could see that the pros far outweighed the cons. And I just said to him, I think we just ought to go for it. And that had a lot to do with even my own upbringing, where my parents encouraged us to try anything and everything. Just try it. And so I had said to him, you you know, we walked through, what's the harm? Is there something that's so detrimental as a possible outcome that we couldn't get through it? Mm. And the answer was no. And especially being young married, you know, we were invincible, so <laughs> it was it was fine and timely to take on the world, and that's it was exciting. It seemed large, and we just took it one step at a time. And I said, "You're going to have to educate me. You tell me about the political world. I'll teach you about process." Wonderful. You know, I'm, before we started recording, we prayed as I often do or always do before these podcasts, and just about who might listen to this someday. And I am just picturing in the back of my mind a man or woman, boy or girl, who 
is right now going to turn off their device and start writing their letter or start planning their run for office just based on what you shared. And um, thank you very much for opening your... I did not know any of what you just told me. And I love, love, love what you have just shared with us. Could we talk about the issue of state politics, Senator Hirschman? Because my observation, and I may be totally off on this, but it seems like there's a level of civility at the state level that would not be mirrored nationally. Is that true? Is it not true? And could you just speak into the whole issue of civility and politics and where one's faith might play in that? It's absolutely true, and it's gotten progressively worse over the years at the federal level that I've talked with many members of Congress who are actually quite lonely and unfulfilled in their jobs because you can't have those interpersonal relationships that are part of the richness of life. Mm. And in Indianapolis, we certainly fight like cats and dogs over certain issues, but there is a fundamental respect for the most part for both sides. Mm. In particular in the Senate, it has been driven by the rules established for many, many years. It is absolutely against the rules to impugn the motives of another member. You can disagree with them. Oh, we've had folks called down on it and disciplined when they get too emotional about an issue. I did not know that. Now that's the, and there's a difference between the Senate and the House, and and I'm not saying anything negative about the House, but people who serve down there will tell you there's a different dynamic between the two bodies. Rules matter. Hmm. And so what it allowed, if you think about it, It is so easy to turn on the TV and think about elected officials as being somehow different, depending on your thought of them as either better or worse or Mm. crazy or corrupt or whatever. The truth of the matter is, if you look to your left and right in church, they're the same people that you interact with every day, and in some ways more so. Bigger egos, bigger... They have personalities that are sometimes larger than life. Uh Uh-huh. But they're just people. Mm. And so they can have their feelings hurt. They can want to get even. They can, you know, once you tear open the bag and let civility out, it's hard to put it back in the bag. Interesting. And so it has become absolute blood sport. And I think part of the issue, to not to blame the individuals so much, but Rachel Maddow and Sean Hannity do not report on the goings on of the Indiana legislature on a daily basis. So They are adding fuel to the fire. They will take issues that are genuine issues, but they will enhance them because they are looking for ratings. Mm -hmm. And people's views tend to grow and echo if you self-align. Mitch Daniels talks about this in terms of tribalism and so Mm -hmm. forth, where you will say, well, our folks have to be 100% right about anything. And anybody who disagrees with us obviously is a fool or corrupt or Mm -hmm. whatever. That is not helpful towards a constructive dialogue. And then for those who find common ground on issues, they are often accused of being somehow weak. Mm-hmm. You're not a true liberal. You're not a true conservative. When the truth of the matter is the solutions to many things often involve some level of compromise. And that was one of the things I worked on a great deal over the years. You can find meaningful compromise so long as it does not violate your core principles. Mm-hmm. And that's where Biblical principles and truths play into that. Mm -hmm. If you allow yourself to be driven by ego, by emotion, by the issue of the day, I've said this, how often do you make a good decision when you're angry? Yep. You often live to regret it. Mm -hmm. If rather than your compass being pole, 
or how the public is emotional at the moment over an issue, but rather looking back at certain fundamental truths, mm. your own intellect, your own experience, and biblical underpinnings, you're going to find yourself making pretty good decisions consistently over time. Mm. And my view always was I would take those principles, my experience, my intellect, I would make the best decision I knew. I would come home and I would tell people why I did what I did, whether they liked it at the time or not. Mm -hmm. And if over time they liked it, they'd go into that booth and reelect me. And if over time they didn't, I'd go do something else. Yeah. It worked very well. People were very kind and supportive to both Lisa and I mm. over time and, and pretty happy about the decisions that we made. And that's, I think, why the state is in much better fiscal and economic health than the nation as a whole and than many of the states around us. Well, I'm very thankful. You know, I grew up in Indiana. I'm very thankful for the level of civility that we possess in state politics. And it's not perfect. We're imperfect people. Sure. But um, I sure love living here, and that's one of the reasons why. And I think on behalf of our citizens, we thank people like you. You stand for principle. You've also done it in a, with a level of civility that we can be very thankful for and proud of, so thank you for that. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. You mentioned the fiscal aspect of this, and we could do many, many podcasts about this topic, I'm sure, because of our interest and because of the, the biblical emphasis. But do you embrace the term fiscal conservatives? Is that the way you like to be thought of? Very much so. Again, you go back to the emotional aspect of it. Immediate gratification is fun. You know, <laughs> we you pull into the Dunkin' Donuts drive through and you say, that's going to be great, right up until you either are sick to your stomach or you step on the scale. <laughs> so it's part of the human condition to... Delayed gratification is difficult. Yep, it is. But if you also think about how many good decisions you've made in your life, do you go ahead and work that over time? Do mm -hmm. you go ahead and seek that additional education? Do you get up whether you want to or not? Mm -hmm. And what's the long-term benefit? Unfortunately, we don't do that in politics very often because elections come around all too yep. often. It is a popularity contest. And this is where I will lay this in the lap of the general public. If you're sitting throwing uh, things at the TV tonight saying, how did we ever end up with a bunch of fools like that? Well, you <laughs> elected them. That, that's, I remember talking to one senior corporate official who was bemoaning the state of elected office. And I said, well, and, and as it was somehow my issue uh, as uh, a leader in the Senate, and I said, you know, the funny thing is I didn't hire a single one of my colleagues and I can't fire any of them. I just got to work with what you send me. Very true. So I think people... If we're looking right now, the idea of doing transportation bills and spending billions and trillions of new dollars, there will never be enough money to solve everything that everybody would like to do. Yeah. And there are real consequences over the long term. It's far more complicated in terms of economic theory than we have time to discuss today. But in essence, you're paying interest on that national credit card that was drawn down on to do those things. If you make an investment in something that is going to give you a rate of return over time. And there are some investments that do. Education, mm -hmm. frankly, is, is a good one if it gets you good outcomes. Mm. But there are a lot of things that you really aren't going to get a return on investment. They just sound fun for now. And you mm -hmm. got to pay for them. That credit card bill is going to come due. And we're at a point nationally where interest on the national debt is squeezing out many, many priorities, whether it be health care or national security, defense. Mm -hmm. People wonder how it got that way. It's because we said yes too much yep. for that donut. 
for sure. There seems to be a significant difference in the condition of our state finances and our country's finances. Is that true? Yeah. And there will be those who say you've got to spend money during an economic downturn. Working with, at that point, Governor Daniels, Governor Pence, we actually lowered state debt 42% during the recession of 2008. And we're benefiting wow. from that today because we're not paying debt service. And to give you just a point of comparison, we leased the toll road, which many of you mm-hmm. will remember. One of the reasons we leased it is because the initial debt had been incurred on it in 1954, <laughs> and we'd not paid off the debt. We were still paying yep. interest every year on rolling over a debt for more than half a century. Wow. And so by paying down some of those things, by driving cost reductions, and you know, Lisa and I have talked about this in government. Unfortunately, government, despite having some good intentions, has no competition and no profit motive, and they're not spending their own money. They're spending other people's Absolutely. money. Which, as a system, I talked about the Senate and following the rules, if your system is inherently not driven to be responsive for those very reasons, you've got no competition, right. bad things will happen over time. Wow. And so it was the fiscal discipline that we exerted here at the state level. We've got multiple billions of dollars in the bank. Mm. We've paid down our debt. And it allows us now to have the free cash to invest in many other priorities Mm -hmm. without incurring debt for future generations. It can be done. And none of the dire consequences that that were postulated that, oh, if you don't spend this money Mm -hmm. now, none of that ever happens. That's the bane of political existence is to spend some wild hypothetical outcome if you behave responsibly. And we behave responsibly, and you can see right now, and that's why I always make fun of Illinois, if you follow me on social media (laughs) at all. I said because it's easy, it's fun, and it's educational. But two states next to each other that are largely similar ethnically, geographically, Mm -hmm. economically, all, all those things, two very, very different outcomes. And the real core of the difference is self-discipline. Interesting. So so what role has your religious faith had as you've uh, participated in public life? I think it provides that foundational underpinning that there are certain truths that we have been given as the way to live our life, but also to exert leadership in any role that we Mm -hmm. play. Obviously, you follow the teachings of Christ as an individual, but you are also have devoted your life to sharing them with others through Mm -hmm. your leadership as pastor. I don't think it's entirely different as an elected official. If you rely upon those biblical truths as an underpinning for your decision-making, it helps set aside the emotion of the hundred phone calls that just came in saying, do this. Mm -hmm. Well, God said, don't do this. (laughs) He's more important than you are. Wow. And he'll take care of me even if you decide that I'm not the right answer for you Mm. at the ballot. Unfortunately, too many people are driven by their own emotion. It's the best title, the best job they'll ever get. I don't want people mad at me. Mm-hmm. I don't want people calling my, me names or telling me I'm wrong, so I'll go ahead and buckle under. Mm. Biblical faith gives you the underpinning to make the right decisions based upon certain enduring truths, and it allows you to push aside many of those other extraneous kind of pressures. Yeah, and when you think about the what is the outcome that that has produced in the state of Indiana because of your leadership and others like you, if the answers are civility and fiscal discipline and fiscal health, those are reasons for which we ought to be very, very thankful today. I think so. And, and certainly our freedom to worship and follow our 
our own path with God is one of those other fundamental truths that we need to preserve from government intervention as well. But certainly for those who look at the the teachings of Christ and the Bible and use it as their own compass, I think the outcomes are universally good, even if you find two people who disagree on what a particular interpretation is. At least you have a common ground of Mm -hmm. faith and way to treat one another that allows for some compromises and some common ground. Secretary Hirschman, you've watched your husband function in this role, and I'm curious about your observations about how he's done it, what's enabled him to do it, what your evaluation is of the outcome. What would you say about all of this? Well, first and foremost, I'm incredibly proud of him. Mm. He has done some things that others would always write off and say no one can get that done. As a matter of fact, Brant was known for taking on the toughest, most politically charged topics. And, you know, whether it was insurance claims and the process and how out of hand it got, and uh, there's unemployment insurance in particular. And everybody said, oh, you want to stay away from that. But that civility and the focus on good use of resources was what drove him to reach to the opposition Mm. And work something out. And so he was able to persevere. Mm. He focused on the outcome, but I think very genuinely and authentically listened to both sides. And I find that as I watched this unfold, it was a great lesson for me as well, that when you think about private sector business, there are a lot of similarities and a lot of lessons that can be learned. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people just want to be heard. Mm. And if you are authentic and genuinely listen, mm-hmm. and I think one of the hallmarks of Brandt's success is that he always had everybody's fingerprint that they could recognize. That's interesting. And so he may have someone who's opposing, mm-hmm. and he'd say, well, what about this? And he'd find that nugget. And even if it was small, it sent the message in earnest that they were heard mm-hmm. and that they were considered and they were respected. Mm-hmm. And I think those things, he really led by example and showed that you can get there even if it's emotionally charged by focusing on the outcome and listening to people. In fact, he used to tell me, I don't know how I'm going to meet with all these people. I don't have that much time in the day. Uh And we'd actually work together and I'd say, okay, you got to get it down to 15 minute increments. (laughs) It may seem short, but at least you're giving them time and it gives them a chance. And maybe they can come back, but those are his personal style and his leadership style, taking people into consideration and listening to both sides in earnest, I think, led to a lot of his success. And also, he's an incredible communicator. Hmm. So Reagan must have had one heck of an impact on him because he's thoughtful, he's thorough, and he can explain things in a way that it's not talking down to someone at the same time. And so I'm in awe of his capabilities. I'm super proud of him. That's wonderful. You know, Last question, although we could just keep this up for hours. I appreciate you all joining us. But I'm thinking now about a 
maybe a young person in high school or in college who's considering public service, government work, or maybe a parent who's hearing their young person talk about it and thinking, you know what, if I'm a a follower of Christ, if I believe God's word, there's no role for me in government, there's no role for me in public life. Can you speak into that to that young person or to that parent about how that may not be true? I'd be interested in either one of you addressing that. Sure. I would just say there are so, so many ways to be involved at varying degrees of involvement, the least being contacting your elected officials to let them know how you feel on an issue, not just when you disagree with them, but when you agree. Interesting. Because I can tell you that I heard from people when they didn't like something (laughs) I was doing, and I think it tends to influence an elected official's view because they don't hear when people think they're doing the right thing. A lot of people say, yeah, they're doing fine. You know, they don't need me. Well, they do. But whether it be supporting a candidate, spending some time, helping at the local level, at the state level, at the federal level, or running for office Mm -hmm. yourself, any of those things we grow as a society by the involvement of dedicated people. And I would say that the more faithful Christians that are involved in the public policy process, the better it's going to get yep. because you know they are driven by those fundamental truths mm-hmm. that not all are. Yeah. Wonderful. I think I would echo much of what Brant said, but also encourage people to keep in mind that the person that you see out there and in the media, those aren't the only roles that Mm -hmm. are necessary to make it an effective ecosystem. Mm -hmm. So I learned that very early on. Again, we decided to run. He filed on the 68th day of our marriage. (laughs) And I said to him, I don't know anything about this, but I'm intrigued. Mm. You're going to have to coach me. Mm. The support role I can't even begin to tell you how important that is, mm-hmm. whether you're volunteering, whether you're handing things out, whether you're you know, running and getting people lunch as they're working through a campaign cycle, for instance. That enabling support, all those roles are so vital and so necessary. And I recall I kept statistics when we ran, and at the time we had eight counties in our district we did 763 events and went through 134 tanks of gas <laughs> and did 19 parades from the beginning or mid-February to the beginning of November on Election Day. Hmm. You can't do that by yourself. Right. And even the two of us couldn't have managed it without volunteers and the team. But I would also say, and this speaks to my heart specifically, I always wanted to serve my country. My father was my hero, and I think of him and miss him every single day. Mm. And he served in the Navy. And I never dreamed that I could take my business experience and apply it to a government agency focused on the defense of our nation. And yet that's exactly what God opened up for me to do. And so never underestimate or assume for other people that you know what they're looking for, just try it. Yeah. And that's part of what has kept us going. But the, that support system is absolutely critical. 
No question. One of the takeaways here is throw the Hail Mary. So if you're <laughs> thinking about writing the letter, as outrageous as it might sound, write the letter. Um, if you're thinking about running for office, as outrageous as that sounds, if you believe that's what God wants you to do, run for office. Or if you're thinking about some sort of a support role, get involved. And don't think that your religious faith is going to be trampled on. It could actually be undergirding and foundational for Absolutely. the choices that you make. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. This is really what I mean by biblical counseling in action. The people that often listen to this podcast are people who do this more formally in a counseling room. Here's evidence that you can take those exact same kind of biblical principles and apply them in all sorts of walks of life in ways that glorify God and serve our state and our country. So Absolutely. thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you. You can check out more about our ministry at faithlafayette.org. Or if you're interested in receiving biblical counseling training, go to faithlafayette.org conferences. You can find these presentations wherever you normally access your podcasts. And you could really help us just to get the word out by telling your friends on social media that these presentations are going to be available. Our hope and our prayer is that this podcast honors the Lord and is a blessing to you.